hi and welcome back to the Turning 30 podcast, a place where we talk about what it's really like to turn 30. I'm your host, life coach Emma Wilson, and I'm here to help you feel better, be more confident and get unstuck at 30. I'm really excited to introduce to you another guest episode today with a very special guest who I actually hired a few months ago by joining her group course because I was struggling with some eating related issues and I was really wanting to educate myself on nutrition and I had been following her on Instagram and really liked her approach and really liked how she spoke about the world of eating and it's linked to hormones and fertility all things that I know so many of my audience will resonate with. Now before I introduce the guest to you I just wanted to quickly let you all know and it's very relevant for this week's topic but I am actually starting the process this month of freezing my eggs so it's something that I have done podcast episodes about before I have an episode with a client of mine Nikki where we spoke all about the process and she very bravely shared her personal story uh, with egg freezing and I did the tests and have been waiting to start for a really long time and I had a false start back in January which I decided at the time wasn't the best month to start freezing them because of the pandemic and now it's happening and I'm really excited to share my journey with you. I've become such an advocate and want to speak out in public to how important it is in your 30s that if you do want to become a mother to check your fertility levels and if you have access to healthcare and can afford to do something about it if that's what you decide is right for you then to be able to at least consider freezing your eggs and become more knowledgeable about the process so whilst I go through my journey I'm going to be documenting it all I will post some of it on my personal Instagram but I've actually set up a side Instagram account called Emma's Eggs that I'm going to use to really give more details of the journey. I'm probably going to be sharing a lot more of the educational things and just the inner uh, behind the scenes things that are going on the weeks that I'm freezing them and the retrieval that will happen a few weeks after I start. So if you're listening to this the week that the episode has been released, uh, it's currently August 2022 and I am intending to start within the next week or so. So definitely go and check that out and very timely release of today's episode because I'm interviewing Lauren Allen who is a certified nutrition coach and what we're going to be talking about is how you can eat your way to better fertility and she has such an amazing story that I cannot wait to share with you. So let me introduce Lauren. Lauren Allen is a former sugar addict turned certified nutrition coach who specializes in women's hormonal health. After being diagnosed with PCOS after struggling with infertility, Lauren discovered the power of using food as medicine to heal her body, balance her hormones and eventually get pregnant naturally. Lauren believes that all women deserve to harness the power of eating foods that help their bodies thrive and her mission is to help women find delicious ways to balance their hormones without feeling deprived or restricted. She coaches women privately and in groups to help them optimize their fertility, decrease period pains, boost their mood and energy and feel empowered in their health journeys. Hey Lauren and welcome to the podcast. Hi Emma, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to have you because just for everyone listening to know, 
I met Lauren, we met at a networking event, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I was doing a presentation about building a community. And I think you asked me a really great question. And, and I started following you afterwards. And we were messaging. And then I just fell in love with your niche, which we're obviously going to dive into today and talk all about uh, nutrition and fertility and all of the topics. And I, off the back of our conversations, decided to sign up to your nutrition course, which your group course, which I really loved. It was so, so useful. And I'm hoping that today you're going to also share some of the, your pearls of wisdom that we spoke about on the course also in the episode. But I thought what we would do to start off is for you to basically tell your, your amazing story of how you ended up basically becoming the coach that you are today but I love your story. I know I already know it, so I won't, I won't do any spoilers, but I just love how you went from being somebody very, very different in relation to food and nutrition and health to who you are now, because I resonate with that and I'm sure I'll share in a little bit why. But yeah, I'd love you to just tell your story. Okay, I will. Thank you so much for that intro. And it was so fun having you in the course. So I'll give my background, which is that I grew up in New York and i from as literally the earliest day I could remember, I loved sweets, loved cookies, loved cakes, loved chips and pretzels and all that stuff too. But I really loved sweets, ice cream. And as I got older, you know, I got a little bit more um, snobby about it. I wanted like nice croissants and cream puffs and macarons. Like I really, that was just how I loved to have fun. It was also how I loved to make myself feel better if I was having a hard day, you know, in school, if I did badly on a test or how to break up with a boyfriend, like food was my everything. It was my go-to for feeling happy, for feeling sad, for feeling stressed. And I never really saw a problem with it because I also had been thin for my entire life. I just naturally had a really fast metabolism. I was that friend that everyone was always saying, you know, you do not deserve to look the way you do because of the way you eat. And we're so jealous you eat whatever you want. And I kind of thought, you know, you're right. I just hit the genetic jackpot and I'm so lucky I could eat whatever I want and I have no consequences. And that was basically my mindset until I was about 24. I had gotten married and my husband and I were trying to start a family. And I knew from pretty early on something was just off. I had this gut feeling. This is not going to be easy. We're not going to get pregnant quickly. And a big part of it was because I wasn't getting my period regularly. And the truth is, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say a little bit, even though I didn't know any better. I can't remember if as a teenager it was regular or not. I don't think it was, but I wasn't paying so much attention. And it was also one of these things I wasn't getting my period every month and I thought I was lucky. Like, woohoo, I hit the genetic jackpot again. I don't, I don't have to deal with the period every month. But when I was trying to get pregnant and I realized not getting my period meant I wasn't ovulating regularly, it started to become very stressful. And so eventually after, you know, it had been over a year, we went to the doctor, we started running tests and they told me I had something called polycystic ovary syndrome, or a lot of people know it as PCOS, which is basically where you're having so many little follicles trying to develop into eggs in your ovaries that none of them are really able to fully mature. And so you're not really ovulating properly, or maybe you're getting a couple of eggs a year. So I was probably ovulating three or four times a year, which obviously really decreased my chances. And what was a really, I think my rock bottom moment in a lot of ways was I was getting this very intense ultrasound done by this male doctor. And he was literally like inside of me looking and said, you know, you're not going to get pregnant naturally. 
but it's okay because you're young and overall you're healthy and we have so many treatment options. And then he just launched into the fertility treatments. And I was trying to just like digest all of that because it was a lot to take in. And my head was basically spinning, but I said, okay, you know, I trust this doctor. He's a very highly regarded reproductive endocrinologist. And so I said, okay, we'll start the fertility treatments. I had also thought we would have that, you know, fertility specialist appointment and I'd go home with a pack of pills and then I'd be on my way to having a baby. I was really naive. I didn't know how the whole process worked, but I had to go through a number of other tests and I found out we wouldn't even be starting treatments for a couple of months. And I was, at that point I was shattered. I was so frustrated and broken and just the fact that I wasn't getting pregnant, it was affecting me in in every way. Like I wouldn't say I'm an insecure person. I haven't struggled with self-confidence for most of my life, but this was, it was killing me. Like I felt, I felt like I couldn't go out to social events and people were just going to look at my stomach. And I don't know if it was all in my head or sometimes I think people were, sometimes people said things to me or my husband, but it was affecting my marriage. Of course, it was affecting the way I showed up in my family. And then I had friends who were getting pregnant and like, I couldn't look at them the way they told me. I mean, it was just, it was really killing me. So I went home and I just went down a Google rabbit hole looking for anything that I could do to possibly help increase my chances of fertility. And I started reading all of these stories that to me seemed like total crazy voodoo, wacko, you know, black magic kind of thing of people who changed their diets and it helped them heal their PCOS and get pregnant. And I started reading story after story and I was like, this is too good to be true. I am the last person I've never gone on a diet. I've, I've barely ever eaten a vegetable. Like at that point in my life, I really, you know, maybe I had fried cauliflower once in a while at a restaurant, but I, I didn't eat like this. So I really had this moment of like, who am I to do this? But at the same time, I was like, I can't start treatments for a few months. We just, you know, the way it works, also getting the appointments with the doctor and the follow-up and this and that, everything gets dragged out. So I kind of felt like, all right, let me just try because what else can I do? And my thought was very much, I'm going to try this for a couple of weeks or months. And if it works, it works. But if it doesn't, like hand me the Ben and Jerry's the second this is over. (laughs) And yeah, that was really, that was definitely my mindset going in. But I said, I'll take it one day at a time. It was definitely hard for me in the beginning. And I would say that the first week, basically what I did was I started adding in a lot of whole foods instead of processed foods and junk foods. I started eating, you know, veggie omelets for breakfast instead of chocolate croissants and having, you know, salads with tons of salmon and chicken or meat or like real protein instead of just pasta or pizza with pasta on top, which I like to get pretty, pretty often. And the first week was hard. I definitely had some sugar withdrawal uh, symptoms. I was, I had headaches. I was really irritable and I felt sad. I felt like I was really mourning a part of me because I was such a foodie. But then the next week I started having so much energy and all these things started to happen. So the first thing that, that I really noticed was that one day I had woken up and I had had chronic eczema for most of my life around my eyes. And it was just the whole thing. I was kind of used to it at this point. I used steroid creams to control it. I would put spoons in the freezer and then put them on my eyes every morning. And I was really good at covering it with makeup. So I don't think people would really know this if they saw me when I was wearing makeup. But I woke up one day and it was as if my skin was brand new. Like someone had come and switched my face overnight. The eczema was gone. It was, it was crazy. And I was like, oh my God, you know what? This is a pretty good side benefit. I'm not pregnant, but okay, like I'll take this. And then 
The next thing that I noticed was I was falling asleep really easily before I even had a chance to take my sleeping pills. And at that point also, I had been a real sleeping pill addict. The, the bare minimum was taking melatonin, but I took a lot of heavier things because I just had a lot of trouble falling asleep. And for the first time in, I would say at least a decade, I was just falling asleep. Like one of those people who lies down and closes their eyes and goes to sleep. And then I woke up feeling well rested. And I was like, oh, this is really nice. Okay, cool. And over the weeks, I just, I started feeling better and better. It was really as if my body had been starved for nutrition and for proper care and nourishment. And then after, I think it was after like six or seven weeks, I got my period, which was earlier than expected. At that point I had been getting, you know, 70, 80 day cycles. And I said, oh, you know, I got it a little early. This means we might be able to start the treatments. But I said, you know what? My body is clearly responding really well to this. I was learning more about it, reading more about the science. And I was like, let's, let's just try for one more month. I had it in my head. We were waiting another month anyways. So I said, if it doesn't work in the next month, we'll start the treatments. And then I got pregnant naturally. Oh, I just love this part of the story. It's crazy how your body responded so quickly to this change. It was so crazy. And I do think my body responds more quickly than some other people's, both in a positive way and in a negative way, because now I've learned also, you know, I'm not the type of person who can just like go out on the weekends and binge eat all these things. Like I feel awful. I literally will be in bed and I, I feel so sick from it. So I just have learned I'm pretty sensitive, but it, it works the other way too. So it was really amazing to see, wow, not only did my body, like my body loved being so well nourished and well cared for, but it just changed so much of what I had accepted, you know, from this doctor who said, listen, you're sick, you can't get pregnant naturally. And I had really felt at that point, something is wrong with me and I'm broken and this is just the way it is. And there's nothing I can really do. And it opens my eyes to really seeing, wow, like that's not true at all. There's so much I can do. And then I started to think, well, how many other women are sitting in their rooms at night crying because they feel like something's wrong with their body. And it's not really true. Maybe something's wrong with our food culture or our environment. And we can actually make a lot of changes that could support our bodies and feel totally differently. So that's really what pushed me to get certified as a nutrition coach. And I also did not anticipate it being a career. I was just like, I want to learn more. Let's see what happens. I was teaching full time at, at that point. And I just thought like, yeah, I'm meant to be a teacher. This is it. I liked it. I wouldn't say I, it was my super dream passion, but I was happy doing it. And then once I got certified and started sharing my story, I shared on Instagram just because I thought it could be helpful for people. I had dozens of people messaging me, oh my God, I've been going through this. I had no idea that diet could play such a role. Or I was diagnosed with PCOS when I was 12 and I was just put on birth control and told that I'll be on it until I try to get pregnant and then I could do fertility treatments. Like who knew that there was actually a cure within my own reach. And since then I've been helping women really learn how to properly nourish their bodies and heal their hormones. And it's been, it's been amazing to see the transformations that people have had. Wow. It really is so amazing. And I think the thing about this story that grabs me is that that doctor, that reproductive specialist who is obviously top of his field, I'm guessing he never asked you about your diet or he never asked you like about your health in that way. It was all just like, these are the statistics, these are the labs, and then that's it. 
Exactly. It was very much like, okay, here's the diagnosis. The next st- the next stage is either Clomid or Letrozole. If that doesn't work, we go to IUI. And if that doesn't work, we go to IVF. It was a very curated formula that was clearly like, you know, the person comes in, this is what we do. And I don't blame the doctor. I think I've read a lot now about, you know, functional medicine and how things work in medical school. Doctors are just given a couple of hours of nutrition education, and it's usually all related to weight loss. And, you know, the doctor said to me also, you probably could have gotten diagnosed a lot earlier if you were overweight, but you're not. So we missed the diagnosis, which is another thing that I've really tried to bring awareness to that, you know, you can't look at a person and judge whether they're healthy or not. And everyone likes to talk about health at every size, but I like to talk about disease at every size. I later got diagnosed with diabetes after all of this. And, you know, I don't look like someone who is a type two diabetic, but it's really important to realize that what you eat matters and the way you take care of yourself matters and genetics matter. And there's so many other things going on that unfortunately conventional medicine is just not looking at. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I'll share a little bit of my story. The reason that I chose you as my nutrition coach and and became a client for your course is that I resonate with everything. I'm, I'm not I mean, I'm not necessarily on a fertility journey to get pregnant, but I am about to freeze my eggs. And I was really thinking about like hormones and I've been really trying to explore that side of things, which is why it was such a pull because your course is about balancing hormones. But for me, I also had a similar thing to you where when I was growing up, I didn't eat a vegetable until I was about 18. And no word of a lie. And I was the skinniest, the smallest always. And I think my stomach is not healthy or it ha- it wasn't healthy when I was growing up, but there's that perceived image because you look skinny and exactly the same thing my friends would always say to me, oh, you can eat whatever you want. You're so lucky. You're so, you know, you're so small. You don't have to worry about these things. And for me, it's been a really delayed journey of actually mm-hmm. being like nutrition is so important for my mood and my energy and things, you know, I would until very recently, actually, and, and I, it comes and goes in waves, but I start my morning with a chocolate or almond croissant, and that's like a sugary coffee, a chocolate croissant, and I'm good to go for the day. Mm-hmm. And okay, sometimes if I do that like really excessively, I do my weight fluctuates, and I, I do put weight on now, like it's something that maybe I wouldn't have done earlier in my 20s or my teenage years, but now I'm more sensitive to, to food in that way. But the biggest thing for me from doing your course and realizing is that if you just make those small changes, so you just don't eat the chocolate croissant in the morning and you don't start the day with a spoonful of sugar, then my whole day was completely different. And I remember messaging you after your first session being like, oh my God, one week after switching out the sugary breakfast for something more nutritious, I felt like I had so much energy throughout the day. Like it was, it was crazy. You know, we can talk about the whole healthy being the weight thing. I know that's like a whole topic that we could dive into, but I think that there's not enough talk about nutrition disconnected to weight. And there's not enough talk about, it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. What's important is how you actually feel as well on the inside and and the other things that are going on inside as a result of the food that you're eating. And I have to say, until I met you, until I've been following you, I was a little bit naive to that. I was a little bit naive to this link between hormones and nutrition. And that's why I really wanted to bring you onto the podcast because I think if I'm naive to it and I'm somebody who's fairly well educated and you know interested in this side of the of the the world, then there's probably so many more women who also are naive to this. Yeah. 
It's it's true. And I also I I forgot to even mention this part in the story. And I think a lot of it went alongside with my curing my insomnia, but I had had pretty significant anxiety at that point in my life too. And that was something, I mean, it's, it's crazy at this point. I literally forgot to say it. It's a huge part of the story, but I had been, and I had been diagnosed with anxiety at certain points in my life. I had been medicated for it at that point. I was off medication, but it was another thing that I just had in my head. Like, this is part of me. This is what I live with. I was definitely someone who was high functioning, went to work every day, but you know, had my days that were really bad, couldn't get out of bed, had panic attacks. Like that was, but it was again, just I thought a normal part of my life or a normal part of everyone's life. It seems like everybody has anxiety these days. And that was also something that dramatically improved to the point where I remember waking up and being like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to feel like just to wake up and kind of feel calm in the body. Because a lot of my anxiety wasn't from mental or from an external situation. I just woke up feeling shaky or my heart would race fast and I'd have really quick racing thoughts. And I didn't realize that so much of that was just connected to my blood sugar. And just like what you said, these small changes of learning how to balance your blood sugar, it's not just about, you know, the sugar that's sitting in your bloodstream. It affects your cortisol levels. It affects your circadian rhythm, all of these things that play a huge role in your mood and your energy. And that I think was what motivated me to stick with this because, you know, I mentioned in the beginning, I thought once I get pregnant, give me the Ben and Jerry's like, I don't care about this anymore, but I was showing up as such a better and happier version of myself. It almost felt like I had gotten out of a toxic relationship with food that I hadn't even realized I was in. I realized, wow, I had been feeling so sick. I had, I had nights that I also was begging my husband, take me to the emergency room. I think I'm having appendicitis. My stomach is killing. And then it was just gas. And it was really embarrassing every time, but it happens pretty often. And I didn't even put those pieces together. I didn't realize how sick I was feeling until all of a sudden I started feeling better mentally, physically, you know, and I just started wanting to take care of myself. And it also really changed my relationship with myself. You know, I didn't have body image issues exactly, but I definitely didn't have a great relationship with my body. I wouldn't say it was a really loving, positive relationship, especially after dealing with infertility. You know, there was a lot of distrust there. And I think that was also another really incredible part of the journey was by really taking care of myself, I learned to trust myself and create a really safe, comfortable body to live in, which I think that's really what it's about. You know, it's not just about the egg quality and having, you know, avoiding diabetes, but it's to wake up feeling comfortable and safe in your body every day. And what would you do differently if you did? Well, and that really leads to my next question of how much do you think that the journey that clients go on with you or that somebody who's going on their nutrition journey, how much is it linked to mindset? Because I know you're very, it's a very practical, you know, compared to what I do, a lot of, a lot of the work I do is very much based on like, let's go into the mind and limiting beliefs. And you know, that side of coaching as a nutrition coach, there's a huge piece for you, which is really practical and physical changes, changes in diet, changes in behaviors. How much is mindset a piece in it? I think it's a huge piece. And there's a doctor, Dr. Will Cole, he's a functional practitioner who I love. And he always says, you can't heal a body you hate. And that line just always rings true to me when I hear clients talking about, you know, I'm really, I'm really just doing this because I want to lose weight or I need to get the baby, but I don't, I don't really care about what I'm putting into my body. And you know, no matter what the issue is, whether it's weight loss, whether it's fertility, whether it's healing, you know, a digestive issue 
so much of your stress and your mental attitude affects that. I mean, we know that there's a huge connection between the mind and the gut, and this is really well established in the research. So if you're feeling really stressed or afraid of food, if you're restricting calories and, you know, feeling like, oh my God, I can't go out to a restaurant because it's not a perfectly healthy meal that will impact your digestion. Even if you're ordering the salad, you're not going to be able to absorb those nutrients as well because you're so stressed. And I mean, people know this, especially if they deal with constipation, but stress really clenches things. It tightens things. It doesn't allow your body to, to flow correctly. And I mean, literally flow in terms of your bowel movements. So the, the mental attitude is everything. And I've definitely worked with clients who have a range of, of attitude and it's something we work with, but I do see my clients who come in, they're really excited to take care of their bodies. And they're like, yeah, I could do this. I could make these changes. It might not be easy, but this is something I want to do for me. And I'm excited about it. They definitely see progress in sometimes a faster way or a more significant way. And they're looking for it. They're looking to notice all of those benefits. Because what comes up for me, and I'm again bringing it back to myself in a, in a very narcissistic way, apologies to everyone, that I love sweet food as well. And I feel like I want to make, and I have been making really significant changes to my diet, but there's something about that, like, oh, but I will just treat myself and oh, but just, you know, I'll just do this for a week and then I'll just go back to eating like before. And for me, the biggest struggle is being consistent and sticking mm -hmm. to it and really understanding that to get the long lasting change, you need to give up these learned behaviors, these things that have done for so long. And maybe because I've never had, I feel like for your journey, it was very significant that you were trying to, you had a, a goal that you were trying to achieve and then you got to breaking point with it. And then it was like kind of enough is enough. But what would you say to somebody like me who doesn't necessarily have like a specific thing that they want to do, but, and they struggle with that mindset around mm -hmm. making those changes because it's like, yeah, well, I could just do this for like a week and then I'll just go back to eating the way I was eating before. Yeah. So I would ask them really, what, what's your motivation? And I would ask you, what's your motivation? What would, what would it mean to you if you were feeling your healthiest or how do you, how do you visualize yourself when you're in your best physical shape? Am I going to answer the question? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that it is. I think that for me, it's like understanding the sleep thing, for example. So I'll give an example for me and I'm really sensitive to caffeine. And mm -hmm. coffee is a big trigger for my stomach to not be good in general. And I love coffee. Like waking up and starting my day with a coffee is like my pleasure. I love going to a nice bougie coffee shop and like just even the behavioral act of like buying the, you know, the cappuccino and sitting with it and walking the dog. Like it's such a thing that I love as part of my life. And then I got to the point when I was like, every time I drink this coffee, I feel awful. I have mm -hmm. to run to the toilet. I basically sometimes get shaky like I, it was like a drug for me like I could like my, my teeth could chatter if it was a strong one like and then I would crash like in the afternoon and mm -hmm. then I would have a really bad sleep and I really got to the point where I was like okay I sat with myself and I'm like really really love coffee but you know what I love more a really good night's sleep and not feeling like I'm high on something in the middle of the day of work and yeah and for me that was ended up being the thing that I managed to cut out and I'm now like pretty I moved to matcha which is like much lower slow release uh, caffeine still has caffeine in it but it's definitely not as strong and I've quit coffee basically for the past 
think it's been nearly three months now and it's wow biggest difference in my life and I've quit in the past before and I sometimes treat myself here and there to one and I always feel awful after but I think that for me it's that motivation to just feel different mm-hmm. and I think sometimes when you don't get that short-term gratification it might take a little bit longer it's harder to stay motivated but it's just visualizing that you can feel different if you were to sustain it Totally. And I think one thing that was really helpful for me was thinking about those feelings that make you feel good. Let's say when you go out to the coffee shop and you buy yourself a really good almonds croissant or you get the bougie coffee, I'm the same way. And it's funny, I also now get very shaky after coffee. So I'm trying to reduce it. But sometimes I just want to sit in a cafe. My dream is sitting in a cafe by myself with a book and not talking to anybody and just being in that zone. But it didn't feel good to me to think like, well, now I can't have that because that doesn't serve my health. So instead I started thinking, well, what else can I do that's going to create a similar feeling, but also support my health goals? So let's say for you, it could be, I know you're big into journaling. could be, okay, I don't order the coffee. I, I order you know, a tea with lemon or a matcha or whatever. And I go take my journal and I get those vibes, but it's in a way where I'm not going to have the crash and burn after. Or I tell people, you know, a big thing with blood sugar balance that's really important to know is you don't need to cut it out in order to have healthy blood sugar. I wouldn't have a chocolate croissant every single day, but there's a lot of other things that you could do, like eating something with protein or fat beforehand really significantly reduces how your blood sugar is going to spike. So even if you say, okay, Fridays are when I go out to brunch with my girlfriends and I know we're going to get, you know, lots of high carbohydrate, high sugar foods, no problem. Let me just get something that's made with eggs first, or let me get, you know, a salad starter, and then I'll have that. And even something like that, that's the habit that you can add on. And I love adding things on instead of taking things away, but adding on things like that, and then you don't have to necessarily take it away all the time. Another thing that's really helpful is movement. So if you're walking directly after you're going out for ice cream, that also significantly reduces your blood sugar spikes. So it doesn't mean you can never go out for ice cream, but you could think, oh, instead of you know taking the bus or a cab home, can I walk home instead? And just know that then I'm kind of getting the best of both worlds. I'm serving my body and at the same time, I'm getting my ice cream. And I think in order to make things be consistent and work for your lifestyle, that that's a part of it. And depending on my clients, I have some clients who are more willing to go all in and they just realize at a certain point, these foods aren't serving me. I don't want them in my body. And that's how I feel about a lot of things. I felt almost tricked that like I was eating these things. I thought they made me happy and they really didn't. So I don't want them anymore. But for a lot of other people going out to restaurants and going out for ice cream, it's a huge part of their social life, their dating life, their culture and They don't need to give that up. It's just thinking, well, what can I add in more consistently? If I go out, you know, once or twice a week to a restaurant, then can I really make sure my breakfasts and lunches are really, really strong and really nutrient dense? So I think thinking about where you could add things in instead of reducing is always really helpful. Yeah, I think that is so important. And I think it's what you just alluded to as well about not it's not being too restrictive it's not like always being like having to go completely to the extreme and I think that sometimes when you do that you know when you go cold turkey on something it can be very obvious after that you would just fall off the wagon and you would probably Mm -hmm. just you know go back to the old behaviors which I think a lot of the diet culture that we have you know like the Atkins diet and things like Mm -hmm. this that historically have been like wow this is an amazing way to lose weight but then obviously because it's so extreme, then you put the weight back on afterwards. Which leads to my next question is, we are so bombarded with all different 
you know, information about nutrition. And I think that's what's the hardest thing for me is that when I decided that I really did want to explore this a bit more and, you know, find uh, healthier eating patterns and naturally went to look for coaches and look for people who are thought leaders in this area, I was just so overwhelmed with the amount of conflicting advice, you know, the whole plant, plant-based argument versus the you know, eat the whole foods, kind of, you know, the other, I don't know what you call it, like the paleo or the, you know, eat what are carnivore diet is big now. Yeah. There's so many keto, right. Keto. How, how the hell do you know where to look? And, and, And I'm interested, interested to know what you decided and how you decide to, you know, for yourself and also your clients choose which diets work best. Yeah, it's such a good question because I know especially I'm pretty big on Instagram and I get a lot of questions there and people are like, well, I follow all these accounts and they're all saying totally different things and that's really overwhelming for people. And there are two things to consider. So first, I definitely like to take an evidence-based approach. There's amazing, amazing research out there and there's research that are you know, that's done on specific symptoms or specific syndromes. So for PCOS, there's a lot of research that's specific to PCOS. So I'll always bring that up with my clients. And, you know, if they have PCOS, I'll say, okay, well, this is what we know about the research done on women with PCOS. And these are the dietary changes. For example, there is some research suggesting that it's better to have animal protein when you have PCOS because it's very, very difficult to get all of your protein and keep your blood sugar balanced when you're plant-based and you're relying so much on things like beans and legumes and, you know, soy and all these things that are higher in carbohydrates. It's not that those foods are bad for you, but because there's the blood sugar issue and then because protein is so important, it's just sometimes not the best match. And it's really difficult emotionally when people are plant-based and that's something that they're really, they don't feel comfortable with. And there's a lot of people who then do it and they're like, oh my God, you know, I don't love it intellectually, but my body feels a million times better. Like it's so clear. I had such low energy and things were just, I wasn't getting my period regularly and now I am. So I think it's important to look at the research. I also, I'm just interested in health. I'm always reading books. I'm always listening to podcasts. So sometimes I'll bring in, depending on the person, you know, elements from traditional Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine, because there's so much out there when it comes to diet. And it also really depends on the person and what they're interested in. So I've had some clients that are really looking to understand energetically how food makes them feel. You know, there's a difference between raw cold foods and warm cooked foods, especially where you're at in your cycle can influence these things. So there are so many pieces and the way that I work with people is I try to guide them by teaching them the basic science. These are your hormones. Here's how they work. Here's what we know that food does to them. Now I also want you to take all of this and record what you're eating and how you're feeling and what your symptoms are. And I want you to see what works for you. And when I have a client who can look back at their food journal over the past week and say, wow, I had breakfast every morning. I usually skip it because I don't have time, but I had breakfast every day this morning and my energy at work was 10 times better. And I was more focused like that. That's the biggest motivator for them when they're able to connect what works for them. Or sometimes, you know, there are certain foods that are quote unquote healthy, but they don't work for certain people. I had a client who, you know, just could not tolerate eggs. They were so inflammatory in her body. Usually I recommend them to people. They're a great source of nutrients. I love eggs. They're easy, but in her body, it didn't work. And it really does come from, I think it's a partnership between me teaching them the knowledge and giving them tools, but then they're really paying attention and starting to learn intuitively. This is what works for my body. This is what does it. Yeah. 
And I think that something important that you've just brought up is that it is quite tailored to each person. Like everybody is is different, right? So every everybody totally. probably responds to different types of food. And it's important to acknowledge that there's no one size fits all for everyone. Totally. So I've called this episode, or we're going to call this episode, Eating Your Way to Better Fertility. And I think that, you know, that's relevant for women who are trying to get pregnant and also women who just want to be able to know that their fertility is conserved when they do want to get pregnant in the future. And also we were speaking just before we pressed record about egg freezing as well and how it's Mm -hmm. also like, if it's something that anyone is considering, it's a good, you know, it's a good thing to be aware that the food that you're eating can also really affect the quality of your eggs that will then go and be put in the freezer. So I'd love to hear from you, I guess, some practical things. I know you've already given some amazing practical advice here, but I'd love to hear some suggestions of how to eat your way to better fertility? Sure. This is one of my favorite things to talk about. So I'm so glad you asked. First of all, I will say I also have, I'm really excited about this, a free guide coming out that's actually going to be launched around the same time this podcast is released probably. It's called A Guide How to Boost Your Egg Quality. You can download it for free on my website. And that's going to give you a lot of really specific information, explain to you all about how ovulation works and how to boost your egg quality. And one of the things that I teach people there that I didn't know and I think is so important to know is that it does take three to four months for your eggs to fully mature. So this is not something that you want to be thinking about for just like a week before your egg retrieval or, oh, you know, I should maybe try out this health kick for a couple of weeks. It's really something to think about, oh, the eggs you ovulate with today or the eggs that would be collected today, they started maturing four months ago. And so those are influenced by all your dietary choices, your exposure to stress, your exposure to toxins throughout those past four months. So I think that's really important to know. And what I would really focus on in, you know, those three to four months where you're focusing on boosting your egg quality are both increasing your really nutrient dense foods. So your fruits and veggies, really high quality proteins. If you can get grass fed organic protein, that's best. But even without that, you want to make sure you're getting your protein. It's better to have it than not to have it. So chicken, meat, fatty fish is a great, great anti-inflammatory protein. And then also really trying to focus on foods that fight inflammation. That's mostly our plant-based foods. Leafy greens especially are so great at fighting inflammation. One way that I really like to encourage people to do it is by eating the rainbow. So it's really fun, but trying to get as many colors as you can onto your plate. And it's a really fun way to also think, oh, what am I not usually getting? The red, blue, and purple foods are usually the the foods that are the lowest in people's diets. We know percentage-wise, so including your berries and red cabbage and red onions and things like that, squash, potatoes, you know, these really great sources of complex carbohydrates. And it is a time to try to reduce inflammation in the body. So the main things that are causing inflammation are highly processed oils, which we find in pretty much all processed foods. And a lot of times those are also you know, made with certain types of food dyes and artificial flavoring. I will say if people are listening in the United States, unfortunately, your exposure is a lot higher than to the people who are in Europe or in Asia, because there are certain additives that are considered totally safe in the United States that many other countries have banned as unsafe, unfit for human consumption, which I think is really interesting. Like the ketchup that you would eat in the UK, it has a much cleaner ingredient profile than the ketchup you would eat in the US. It's just 
It's so fascinating, crazy. So really trying to, you know, be mindful of filling up with these really nutritious foods and having less of the refined sugar, less of the really processed foods and, and, you know, thinking also about all of it as like, okay, each meal that I'm eating is a new opportunity to nourish my body. It's not about, I can't have this or I'm restricting it. It's just thinking almost like, okay, I'm, I'm envisioning these eggs being the most incredible, high quality, super baby eggs. And what are all the foods that I can eat in order to help me get there? And I think also really focusing on it from that end, listen, you'll get these other side bonuses of feeling great, but thinking about it as like, how can I make the eggs as, you know, as viable as possible, as, as high quality as possible, is really motivating for a lot of people. Wow, I, it's so funny because I did your course and I've literally <laughs> been in this, you had a whole workshop all about this and I'm still writing down all the things. <laughs> and I'm like, I've, I've got the worksheets already, but I, I've got the recording, <laughs> but it just is so important to remind yourself. I love yeah. all of those things. And what would you say just to somebody who has just used to be very at the start of their journey? Like, I know you always post on Instagram about how you like just were obsessed with cookies and you just like your whole life was based around just those kind of indulgent foods, but who really, really wants to make a change. What, what would you suggest that the person listening who is ready but doesn't know where to start, where should they start? I would really start with the mindset. That's what I did. I sat down and I did a whole journaling exercise envisioning what it was going to feel like to meet my goals. And I remember I have it written down somewhere and I won't pull it up now because I'll probably start to cry. But I was really in a place where I was like, my body is broken and I'll never have a baby. I'll never be a mother. And like, we're just going to be this sad old couple that's going to have to get cats or something. Like, that's how I felt. And I thought I really got this strong vision of when I do this and my body is just operating regularly, I get my period regularly and I know when it's coming and I feel really confident and in my ability to trust my body and my body's going to bring a healthy baby into this world and getting into that mindset. I was like, okay, so I'm going to figure out how to do this. I would definitely take it one day at a time. I still take it one day at a time. I never think like, Hey, I'm on this health train for the rest of my life. That feels really scary and intimidating. But I think, you know, can I try to make nutritious choices today? Yeah, I can. Can I even prep a little bit for tomorrow? Yeah, I can. And it's usually like a day-to-day, week-to-week kind of thinking. I'm not thinking about how how am I going to make sure that I don't have high sugar foods for the next 80 years. I would not start there. I would start with the day-to-day and also focus on other things that you could do to boost yourself up. I know I realized that at a certain point, I used food for every emotion. I used food to cultivate joy. And soon after I had started this journey, it was my birthday. And I realized I don't know how to celebrate a birthday without cake or ice cream. And it was such a weird realization that I I literally felt like I couldn't cultivate a joyful environment or feeling without using food as a tool to get there. And I started really exploring what are other things that could make me feel good. And I used to be the person who said, I only go to weddings. I only go to things so I could have the buffet. Like, I don't really care about the event. I don't care about the socializing. I went, I made a beeline for the food. And I learned like maybe I could actually go to things and connect with my friends and just be really excited to see them. Or I made a whole list on my phone of other activities that lift me up when I feel like I need a cookie to pick me up. And it's not that it's such a bad thing to have a cookie to pick you up. It's a really safe way for your brain to seek pleasure and avoid pain, which is totally natural. It was more that I didn't like that that was my only tool. So, you know, I made a list. I would play a really good song. I would start dancing around the kitchen. I would call my mom or a friend or 
read a really good book or just, you know, get out of my apartment. I'm a little bit of a hermit. And sometimes I just need to remind myself I need to go outside and get a change of scenery. And so I think that's where I would start is like, think about other things that are going to come in and bring you joy. If you feel like food is the thing for you and you're such a foodie and it's this major part of you and, and really start to picture what are all the other benefits you're going to have? Because I don't miss the way that I was eating or the way I was feeling at all. I mean, I think back to it and I was like, I just, I felt so sick and now I feel so good. I like, it would be hilarious if I missed that. How could I miss feeling so sick? So it's obviously so much easier to say it in hindsight, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's what I would say to someone starting out. You you don't even realize what, what benefits are going to come and how great it is to feel good. And so really just to, to focus on that until you get there. Yeah, that you don't even realize what's waiting for you on the on the other side of it. Exactly. One last question. That was supposed to be the last question, but I actually just <laughs> have got another one, if you don't mind. Sure. Time and food and food prep mm-hmm. and people who are really, really busy. I would say that that is, and I'm sure this is an objection that you hear a lot from people who are going on this, this journey, but I think that it's food and preparing food in the way that as millennials live is very like, it's very dependent on how much spare time that we have in order to prepare it. And I think that there's the takeaway culture now, you know, the Uber Eats, Deliveroo, Walt, all these companies, you know, and we just order takeaways. And even if we pick a healthy salad, obviously it's not the same as cooking for yourself in terms of like the nutrition. How can we get into a new mindset or what can we do for that thought that for me comes up time and time again is, you know, I'm very busy. I run a business. I want to socialize. I want to exercise. I want to do all the things. I just don't have time to focus right now on mm-hmm. making myself food. What, where, what would you say to that? Yeah. So it's, it's a great question. It comes up all the time. It happens to be, I have a lot of clients who are in either medical school or residency, dental school, nurses. Um, and those are like the people with the craziest schedules ever you can imagine. And, you know, I think a lot of people do come to me when they're at the point where they realize I'm not saving time by doing this because I don't feel good. And if you think about, okay, let's say I took an hour or two a week to do meal prep. It doesn't have to be five hours a week. It doesn't have to be an hour every day. But if I took a couple of hours on one day just to set myself up for the week, how much time would that end up saving me? And it's not just time that you're not ordering takeout on some app because I know that only takes five minutes but it's about how much more can you get done because you're feeling more energetic? How much more willing are you to say yes to things? I've had clients who tell me, listen, I don't want to go out with my friends after 7 p.m. because I'm just so tired. I'm so exhausted. It doesn't even feel fun. And when I actually take care of my body, they realize, oh, I'm actually more likely to to go out and, and socialize more. I had one client who, this was actually one, a male client who was tracking everything and he noticed he was making more sales on his calls when he started working with me. And that was, you know, you could say, okay, it was costing him some time to do his meal prep, but he was getting much more commission. I mean, everything is a cost. So, you know, you might spend more time doing meal prep, but you're going to spend less time having to worry about your health, having to feel exhausted. And I do think, unfortunately, we know with the numbers, the way things are going, more and more people are developing chronic illnesses as they get older. And that costs a lot of time. It takes time to go to the doctor. It takes time to sit on the couch if you have a food coma because of something you ate. Like That's also costing you time. And so I think you have the choice to decide how do I want to spend my time and where do I 
you know, where do I want to value my time? And I'll just say one thing with a little bit of tough love. If you spend 20 minutes less a day on social media or watching TV, you'd get an hour of your time back. And you could take that hour to cook some healthy meals and do some prep and just chop some veggies. I also encourage all my clients to do shortcuts. Most of my recipes on my website are not two hour time intensive cooking recipes. And if you have some things chopped beforehand, you just throw them in the oven, it's not a big deal. But you know, think about where you're spending your time and if it's really serving you. And I say that as someone who spends way too much time on my phone, I'm always reminding myself this as well as others, but I don't think most of us really lack the time. It's, it's not valuing this enough to, to carve out the time to do it. It's not prioritizing it. Exactly. And I just want to say to everyone, I'm the takeaway queen. And as my business has grown and I've become more busy, I've really been like, no, food is like kind of the last thing on my day, the last thing on the list that I worry about. But I do spend an awful amount of time thinking, what am I going to eat next? Mm-hmm. And maybe it was because we were recording our podcast episode this week. Who knows? But this weekend, I just didn't have any plans on Saturday. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to meal prep. Never done it before. Oh my gosh. Um, I know. It took three hours. I'm not, I'm not the best cook and, and, and I was a bit slow. Put friends on in the background because I love cooking and watching friends. And I made like four different dishes and some like kind of some rice and some couscous and some uh, roasted vegetables and like, chopped some vegetables. And wow, it has changed. We're only on Wednesday. So I'm only like a few days into the week, but it's saved me so much time of having to even just spend thinking about what I'm going to eat because I could just go to the fridge and get food and totally. it saved me money. And I feel so much better. And I've actually exercised every day this week, which I wouldn't even usually do because I would be too busy, you know, trying to figure out which takeaway to order or like wandering the streets, trying to figure out like where I can pick up food. So I really recommend it. And this, I'm just saying this like not to be a show off because I've never done it before and I'm 35 years old. So no, I love it. That's so great. It's great. And I think that's also a big piece of it is the mental energy. That's what a lot of people tell me. They don't realize until they started this. Oh, I was spending so much mental energy. You have to eat anyways. You have to figure out what to eat anyways. So when you just have a little bit more structure and it's planned out and it's ready to go, it, it makes your life easier in a lot of ways. Even if on that Saturday, you took those three hours to do it. Oh, it was so worth it. What else would so I have been it. doing? You know, like, <laughs> exactly. scrolling on my phone, like you said. Exactly. Amazing. Well, I feel like there's so many more topics we can dive into, but maybe we'll do a live or something the week that this is released so we can carry on this amazing conversation. But on, you know, just to end, I would love you to share with the listeners where they can find out more about you, about your courses, which to everybody listening, I really, really highly recommend. And also where they can download the free guide that you mentioned before. Sure. Okay. So You can find me on Instagram at Lauren Allen Nutrition. I share lots of recipes, lots of tips, lots of important nutrition and hormone info that you're not getting anywhere else. Um, I also have a website, laurenallennutrition.com, where I have lots of recipes and blog posts. And then the course, the next round of the course is going to be launching in September, which I'm super excited about. And you can either, you know, sign up for the course if you want more of a group style workshop, learning about your hormones, or if you are someone who feels like you'd benefit from one-on-one support, I also have a one-on-one coaching program. And I would definitely recommend that if someone knows already that they have a specific diagnosis or they're working on a really specific goal, like, Hey, I know I'm freezing my eggs in a couple of months, or I'm trying to get pregnant. Then I think the one-on-one support is really beneficial there. And yeah, I also really, I genuinely do love hearing from people. So if anyone learned something on this podcast, they implemented it, even if it's the smallest thing, like, Hey, I did meal prep 
one time, or, you know, I swapped my sweet breakfast for a savory one and I feel so much better, please DM me. I answer all my DMs. I really love hearing about any things that people do to make their health journey easier or heal their hormones in any way. So always love to hear from you guys. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on. I really just love this topic and I've learned so much from you already. So I know everyone will benefit from it and uh, I'll see everybody on the podcast next week. Thanks so much, Emma.